iHeartRadio.com. Today is Thursday, July the 6th. It's the Feast of St. Maria Goretti. So let's begin this hour praying for her intercession for those who suffer abuse. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, we ask you to help all those who suffer abuse. Help them find healing and peace in their life. May Maria Goretti, who was strengthened by your grace, join us in prayer for the healing of all victims of abuse, especially those abused as children. Lord God, grant us your love that we might reach out to them in your name with hope in times of trial. As Maria prayed for her attacker, grant us the grace to pray for the true conversion of all those who abuse, that they will seek your mercy through prayer and penance. Loving God, pour into our hearts and lives your healing spirit so that the sacredness of every human person will be respected and protected as the precious image of God. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning and welcome to this Thursday edition of the Sunrise Morning Show here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Anna Mitchell coming to you from the studio's of Sacred Heart Catholic Radio in Cincinnati, Ohio. Matt Swaim is on vacation this week. Paul Lockman at the controls for us. And up this hour, an excellent hour ahead, we'll kick it off with Father Robert Nixon continuing our series on the book he translated, Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. And uh, we've been reflecting on all of the gems and flowers and stars that St. Ildefonsus places in this crown. Today we're going to be talking about the emerald. Father Philip Michael Tangora will join us to talk about the archbishop who has just recently been named as the next prefect for the dicastery of the doctrine of the faith. Brett Thoman will be along. He's got a new book on Maria Goretti, so we will talk about it and her on her feast day. And then we'll wrap things up for the hour with our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, talking about how we can support veterans in our lives. Hope you can stick around for the entire hour ahead. Let's get started right now at two minutes past the hour with news. Parts of the central U.S. are in for more severe weather to end this week. Forecasters say the focus today is the plains, where thunderstorms are possible into the night, along with large hail, isolated tornadoes, and wind gusts of up to 60 miles per hour. It could ramp up tomorrow when cities like Denver, Kansas City, and Tulsa face the highest risk. Meantime, thousands of customers were without power last night in Illinois and Indiana, where thunderstorms were moving across the region. Pope Francis met yesterday with former U.S. President Bill Clinton at his residence at the Casa Santa Marta in Rome. Vatican News reports the meeting was held in private and the two men discussed peace. Looking ahead to the next Jubilee in 2025, Pope Francis issued a letter yesterday establishing The Commission of the New Martyrs, Witnesses of the Faith, 
within the dicastery for the causes of saints. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. The working group's objective will be to draw up a catalogue of all Christians who have shed their blood to confess Christ and bear witness to the gospel. Martyrs in the church, wrote the Pope, are witnesses of the hope that comes from faith in Christ and incites to true charity. Hope keeps alive the profound conviction that good is stronger than evil because God in Christ has conquered sin and death. The Commission will continue the search to identify the witnesses of the faith in this first quarter of the century and to continue in the future. This work was started during the Jubilee year of 2000. Martyrs, the Pope continued, have accompanied the life of the Church in every age and flourish as ripe and excellent fruits of the vineyard of the Lord. St. John Paul II had already stated in his letter Terzio Millenio Adveniente that everything must be done to ensure that the legacy of the unknown soldiers of God's great cause is not lost. On the 7th of May in the year 2000, these very martyrs were remembered during an ecumenical celebration which saw gathered at the Colosseum together with the Bishop of Rome, representatives of churches and ecclesial communities from all over the world. This is what the Holy Father has repeatedly called ecumenism of blood. In the next Jubilee as well, the Pope added, we will be united for a similar celebration. With this initiative, we do not intend to establish new criteria for the canonical discernment of martyrdom, but to continue the initiated survey of those who to this day continue to be killed simply because they are Christians. In a world where at times it seems that evil prevails, the Pope concluded, I'm certain that the elaboration of this catalogue, also in the context of the approaching Jubilee, will help believers to read the reasons for life and good. I'm Francesca Merlo. The clock is ticking to avoid what could be the largest strike in the U.S. since the 1950s. Talks between UPS and the Teamsters Union are stalled after the union said UPS walked away from the bargaining table. The company claims it presented an historic offer. Majority of the 340,000 UPS workers voted to authorize a strike by July 31st, and economists warn it could cause major disruption in the U.S. economy. The Pentagon will make changes to how military personnel access classified information following a massive leak of top-secret documents earlier this year. An internal review of policies concluded the Defense Department should, quote, improve its security posture and accountability measures, end quote. It determined, however, it does not have a widespread issue with keeping secrets safe. The review comes after a junior Air National Guardsman allegedly leaked hundreds of top secret documents to an online social media platform. The U.S. Air Force says three Russian fighter jets provoked U.S. drones during a mission against ISIS over Syria. Mark Mayfield has more. In a statement Wednesday night, the Air Force said that Russian jets took part in unsafe and unprofessional behavior with three U.S. drones Wednesday morning, forcing them into evasive maneuvers. It's unknown what kind of mission was taking place against the ISIS targets. I'm Mark Mayfield. And airports are still dealing with travel issues following the 4th of July. More than 6,800 flights were delayed yesterday as cancellations across the country surpassed 480. The disruptions come as millions of travelers were flying during the extended holiday weekend. Severe weather is also hitting parts of the central U.S. this week. Certainly not helping matters. So if you're listening on your app sitting in the airport because you haven't gotten your flight yet, we're here with you in solidarity. Hang in there. Hang in there. Also, I got a note from a listener saying, is cancelization a word? Because I think last week I 
accidentally said cancelization instead of cancellation. No, cancelization is not a word. It's just early in the morning. Today is Thursday, July the 6th. It is the feast of St. Maria Goretti. Much more on her with Brett Thoman later this hour. St. Maria Goretti, pray for us. Father Robert Nixon is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia and translator of the Tan Resurrection series. We've been going through The Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Father. Father, do we have you? Hello? There you are. Hi, Father. Hello? You can hear me? Good morning, Annie. How are you? I am doing great and uh, happy to have you here on the show today. You know, we're continuing to reflect on these various stars and flowers and gems that St. Ildefonsus places in the crown of the Virgin. And today we're going to be talking about the emerald, which takes the 15th place. Can you tell us about the emerald and what qualities this gem would have had in the eyes of St. Ildefonsus? Yeah, so so the emerald was, um, even in the Middle Ages and antiquity, one of the most precious and rare gemstones, which it still is today, of course. Um, and its other quality, which he focuses on, is its green coloration, which, um, of course, is a symbol of, of neutrality, and also a property which it was believed to have of, of bringing soothing to anyone who looked at it. So that if you looked into an emerald, it would give you this feeling of calmness and and soothing, which which I suppose is actually true in a way. I, I haven't actually tried it myself, but I, you know, thinking about the uh, the, the rich green color and um, the effect of that color on the mind, because all colors do have their psychological uh, and spiritual effect. Yes, I, I um, he focuses on this as this gemstone being able to convey a soothing to whatever soul uh, contemplates it. Oh, that's so interesting because I was wondering why this yeah. chapter was, was, he starts off with sort of this nautical imagery and that makes a whole lot more sense when you yeah. think about stormy seas. He, he does indeed, you know, and this image we've talked about uh, a little earlier of representing Mary as the star of the sea. And the image of our mortal life being like um, taking a voyage on the ocean uh, is so true. And because uh, so many times we feel as if we've either lost our way or we're surrounded by turbulent waves and, and darkness and so forth. And he begins with that. He says, amidst the turbulent waves of this life, you, O Mary, are my secure harbor. Amid the shipwrecks of this world, you are the safe harbor to which I flee. You are my help in adversities, my guide in perplexity, my secret joy in times of trial, and my refreshment in labor. And and these words, I think, uh, you know, ring so true to so many Catholics who are devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Certainly to myself, that um, when we when we feel that the world is too much for us, that the waves of the world are assaulting us in every direction then we just need to turn to her to find this uh, great illumination and comfort. 
Yeah, absolutely. I I was reflecting as I read the prayer at the end of this chapter that this this prayer could have been very easily written today. Indeed, it could, you know, and um, it expresses so many of the things that really don't change about human life. I guess pretty much since the fall of Adam and Eve, it's always been a time of stress and and trial and people needing this refreshment, this soothing to uh, to make them go forward on this pilgrimage, which God is leading them on. Yeah. Can you talk about, I mean, it's so funny because when I was reading this prayer, um, I mean, obviously some, some great truths that are ever ancient, ever new in terms of, of the sin of this world. But one thing that comes out in his reflection here is that, you know, I myself am a sinner, and so I need her aid in in recognizing my own sinfulness and calming the sinfulness out of my life, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, that that's very true, you know, because so many of the anxieties and troubles in their life are, um, I mean, some of them are the result of external things, but a lot of them are actually the result of, of uh, sinfulness, or at least a a tendency to sin which lurks within us. So this internal purification. But he also identifies, I think, very wonderfully um, some of the things going on in the world in his time. And he says, um, piety and mercy have become rare and worldliness has infected even those who profess to be religious. Fraud and deception abound and the church has become the target of assaults and insults. And, you know, that that is so true in our modern Western society. Uh, I don't know how it is in the United States, but certainly in Australia. <laughs> Probably church, worse. <laughs> you know, we get we get a lot of uh, a lot of bad press that we're, we're, you know, what we do or what we believe is hardly ever represented in a fair way. And certainly see, O oh, most merciful mother, how many are the miseries into which human nature has fallen? How great are the adversities faced by your sons? holy Catholic Church, and how faithless our world has become. Gentle Mother, may your tender mercy condole us in our misery. May you serve as an advocate for us on the day of judgment, averting the justified indignation of the Eternal Father. May the impieties of our world be subdued and peace be restored. May religious life flourish with new vigor and faith, be restored to the hearts of humanity that we may give more fitting praise and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Of course, we always pray for the flourishing of religious life and know that uh, you, yourself, Father, are uh, part of that flourishing that we see here in the church, and we're so grateful for your contributions here to the Sunrise Morning Show, particularly as we've been going through this book Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. It's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father Robert Nixon, thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you, Annie, and God bless all your listeners today. And you as well, Father. Thank you very much. All right, it's a quarter past here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at weather across the nation. A pair of cold fronts wreaking havoc on most of the nation today. 
The first cold front will hang out right along the east coast, and a stronger cold front will slowly inch south across the southern plains and lower Mississippi Valley into the Midwest, Ohio Valley, and Great Lakes. And they will lead to chances for rain and thunderstorms throughout the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. Best chance for rain and storms will occur from the front range in central plains into the deep south and southeast. Isolated areas of flooding will be possible. The high plains will also be at risk for strong to severe thunderstorms. The main threats with any thunderstorms will be the destructive winds and large hail, but an isolated tornado cannot be ruled out. High pressure will once again dominate the weather for areas west of the Rockies. Expect dry and hot weather across the northwest, California, Great Basin, and southwest. 16 past now on We are back with headlines right after this. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity Health Share, 844-334-3245. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today up on 19 past here on the sunrise morning show let's take a look at headlines parts of the central u.s are in for more severe weather particularly today in the plains where thunderstorms and isolated tornadoes are possible today pope francis met yesterday with former u.s president bill clinton at his residence at the casa santa marta And looking ahead to the next Jubilee in 2025, Pope Francis issued a letter yesterday establishing the Commission of the New Martyrs, Witnesses of the Faith, within the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints. Next newscast coming up in about 11 minutes from now at the bottom of the hour here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Also, by the way... 
uh, the Pope issuing, this will be in my news at the bottom of the hour, the uh, Pope has uh, granted a plenary indulgence for the World Day of Grandparents and the Elderly, which is coming up a little bit later this month, I believe on July 23rd this year. Yes, World Day of Grandparents and the Elderly, July 23rd. So this is um, the third year that we have had this day in the church to celebrate our grandparents and the elderly. And um, of course, the reason that it takes place in, or the Sunday, I think it's like the third Sunday of July is because that would be the Sunday that is closest to the feast of Saints Anne and Joachim, the grandparents of Jesus. So particularly important day for me because it's my onomastico, the feast of St. Anne. Pray for us. Up next, Father Philip Michael Tangora joins us here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 21 minutes past the hour. Iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. By underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Accept, O Lord, this appeal for pardon wrung from our afflicted and repentant souls. We ask pardon, O Divine Heart, for public scandals and evil living, for all who corrupt thy little ones, for crimes in families, the sins of parents and children. We ask pardon, O Divine Heart, for those who traffic in public crime, for those who lead and lure souls to eternal damnation by riches and corrupt literature, for those who excite evil passions by immodest fashions. We ask pardon, O Divine Heart, for all attacks against our Holy Father, the Pope, for all organized disobedience against Holy Mother, the Church, for all weak and straying souls, for sinners who resist grace, for all abuse of the sacraments, or any outrage against the Holy Eucharist. Amen. with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Philip Michael Tangora. He's a pastor, a canon lawyer, and author of Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life. Good morning, Father. Good morning. So Pope Francis over the weekend appointed the next prefect for the dicastery of the Doctrine of the Faith. Archbishop Victor Manuel Fernandez come September will succeed Cardinal Luis Ladaria. And you're a big fan of Cardinal Ladaria, correct? I am. He was my professor on the Trinity at the Gregorian University. So 
did a good job. I think I believe in the Trinity, so we're good. <laughs> well, that's that's an important one to get right for sure. So, um, absolutely. Be- before we get to know, or before we get to know um, Archbishop Fernandez, I want to talk about his job a little bit because this dicastery for the doctrine of the faith has undergone some updates, um, not least of which being the name, which I still trip over, dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. But remind us of all that is sort of changed in this dicastery. Well, there was also a letter that Pope Francis wrote that got published by America uh, to the new uh, prefect, and it kind of lays out some of those changes. The emphasis that is happening now is really on evangelization and the uh they don't want the dicastery to be the office that punishes those who uh, teach a theology that is not necessarily consonant with the catholic faith they want there to be more of like a guide uh, a guiding hand to the development of theological thought and not you know this the the history of the the holy office where it was coming down and correcting and rebuking uh theologians who hammer and heretics hammer and heretics exactly (laughs) and pope francis doesn't even want him to focus so much on the section dealing with grave delicts he really just wants him to be a harmonizer of different theological thoughts Hmm. That's not to say that the the what's the word I'm looking for the disciplinary part of of the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith that still exists. It's just like kind of a separate department with a separate staff. Is that right? Yeah, and the emphasis for this particular prefect is really going to be not the supreme apostolic tribunal dealing with all the canon law grave delicts, but the working with theologians. I guess I, I'm curious of your commentary what are my on thoughts? this. Yeah, yeah. what uh, are your thoughts? You see, I think, and this, this applies to the church in general in many ways, but it's definitely being seen in this uh, selection here. Uh, you know, Einstein defines insanity as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. <laughs> yeah. I think what people have come to uh, uh, tangle with, and this is where the tension is, do we continue to do the same thing that we've always done, just shrug when it doesn't work, or do we try new things? And I think that that's really where the church is, is at right now. Now, the thing is, those methods to bring people to faith uh, that have been tried and true throughout history are what they are. And I think the the challenge is instead of maybe trying to do something totally new and innovative, what we need to do is do the same things that we've always done that are effective and been tested and tried and true, but using maybe new mediums to convey that message and to get that message out there so as to bring people to faith. And I think that that's really, uh, you know, there are those in the church right now who want to just say, well, we've done what we've done for 2000 years. It doesn't work anymore. And so we're just going to go off and do something now new and different. And then there are those who are saying, no, 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 no. These are the tried and tested methods that work and we got to stick with them. And I think that 
this guy's task is to try and harmonize the two. What do you, based on what you know about Archbishop Fernandez, what do you think are the possibilities of that? I have absolutely no clue because I've read a lot of differing opinions published in the news in the last few days. Mm -hmm. uh, heavy criticism over his book on kissing that was meant when he was a young priest to, for reaching out to the youth and some things and words in those poems and whatnot mm -hmm. that might be somewhat inappropriate to the fact that he was always looked upon as a guy who harmonized, brought two uh, seemingly contradictory views and was able to work out uh, a sense of peace. But at the same time, we have to remember what a former prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith once said, there's the difference between truth and tolerance. Yeah, It's not just about compromise and it's not just about harmonizing for the sake of uh, a meaningless peace. We have to always stand for what is the truth and we need to try and get at that truth. And that does mean listening. And it does mean making sure that we are uh, seeking to understand with greater depth and clarity the teachings that we've already uh, have, but to ha and to repropose them. I think, you know, a good thing for people to do is read John the 23rd's opening address for the Second Vatican Council, uh, Gaudet Mater Ecclesiae where he talks about the fact that we have to take the same substance of the faith, but we need to repropose it to this generation, to the modern world in a way that it is intelligible and is gonna be received by them. I think that's a good place to leave it for now. It'll be interesting to see what comes about uh, come September and beyond with the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith and um, how things play out in Rome in that regard. We've been talking to Father Philip Michael Tangora, and you can find his book, Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you so much. All right. God bless everybody. You too, Father. Thanks. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Pope Francis, looking ahead to the upcoming Jubilee in 2025, has established the Commission of the New Martyrs, Witnesses of the Faith, within the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints. Vatican News reports the Commission's work will focus on creating a catalog of Christians who, in the years since 2000, have shed their blood to confess Christ and witness to the gospel. In a letter establishing the commission, the Holy Father said, the martyrs in the church are witnesses of hope. And he said, quote, hope keeps alive the profound conviction that good is stronger than evil because God in Christ has conquered sin and death, end quote. The Apostolic Penitentiary has announced that Pope Francis is granting a plenary indulgence for the World Day of Grandparents and the Elderly later this month. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The World Day will be celebrated on July 23rd under the theme, His Mercy is from Age to Age. In a decree issued on Wednesday by the Apostolic Penitentiary and approved by Pope Francis, the plenary indulgence will be granted to grandparents, the elderly, and all faithful who participate in the solemn celebration presided over by the Pope in St. Peter's Basilica, as well as to all those who attend Mass in various parts of the world. The indulgence is subject to the usual conditions of sacramental confession, reception of the Eucharist, and prayer for the intentions of the Holy Father. 
A plenary indulgence offers remission of the temporal punishment due to sins already forgiven, which can be applied to oneself or to the souls in purgatory. The Apostolic Penitentiary extends the same plenary indulgence on the same day to those who dedicate significant time to visit, either in person or by virtual means of communication, their elderly brothers and sisters who are in need of facing difficulties such as the sick, abandoned, and disabled. For those unable to leave their homes due to serious reasons, spiritual participation in Mass celebrated for the World Day will also grant them the opportunity to attain a plenary indulgence. However, the indulgence requires that the faithful maintain detachment from sin and intend to fulfill the three usual conditions as soon as possible. The Apostolic Penitentiary's announcement offers the faithful an opportunity to deepen their spiritual lives, express charity towards the elderly, and seek God's mercy in a special way. The Third World Day for grandparents and the elderly serves as a reminder of the invaluable wisdom, experience, and love that older generations offer to society and the Church. I'm Devin Watkins. Pope Francis met yesterday with former President Bill Clinton at the Holy Father's residence at the Casa Santa Marta. Vatican News reports the meeting was held in private and the two men exchanged gifts and discussed peace. No other details were revealed. Clinton's office told the Catholic News Agency that he thanked Pope Francis for all he had done for the church and the world. Parts of the central U.S. are in for more severe weather at the end of this week. Mark Mayfield reports. Forecasters say the focus Thursday is the plains, where thunderstorms are possible into the night, along with large hail, isolated tornadoes, and wind gusts of 60 miles per hour. It could ramp up Friday when cities like Denver, Kansas City, and Tulsa face the highest risk. Meantime, thousands of customers were without power Wednesday night in Illinois and Indiana when thunderstorms moved across the region. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Department of Justice is going to appeal a court's decision to limit the Biden administration's talks with social media companies. Republican states have sued the administration, alleging it colluded with social media sites to censor to censor speech about COVID-19 and elections. This week, a judge issued a sweeping preliminary injunction barring numerous federal officials and agencies from having any contact with social media firms for the purpose of removing First Amendment protected speech. U.S. airports are still dealing with travel issues following the 4th of July. Trey Thomas reports. FlightAware reports there were more than 6,800 flight delays within, into, or out of the U.S. on Wednesday. Flights were delayed, flights were canceled. I mean, we sat on a plane for an hour waiting for something to happen. Eventually, they just said, nope, it's canceled. Cancellations across the country surpassed 480. I'm Trey Thomas. Clock is ticking to avoid the largest, what could be the largest strike in the U.S. since the 1950s. Talks between UPS and the Teamsters Union are reportedly stalled. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the hour. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. 
when you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. The obligation that we have toward the Eternal Father, we have likewise toward Jesus Christ, who, by the redemption, has acquired every right of sovereignty over all redeemed creatures. Let us, therefore, exclaim and say to Jesus, Yes, my God and my King, reign over my soul, my heart, and my will. Possess all my faculties and submit them entirely to the scepter of obedience. Since Christ accepted death with love and held it up before us to be loved, I cannot begrudge the death of anyone, so long as he or she dies in the grace of his most holy death. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Brett Thelman. He's got a new book called Maria Goretti, A Journey into Forgiveness and Redemption. Brett, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Good it to is, be here. It is good to have you on this feast of St. Maria Goretti. How do you go about chronicling her short life? Well, uh, what I did in my book is uh, I, I took some of the Italian source books, some of the biographies about her, even hagiographies, if you will. But what I also did is I went to the three places where she lived, because she had a short life, but mm, living in three places was kind of unusual then. But her parents were, her father was sharecropper, and so they had to move for, for subsistence because they were poor. So I went to the place where she was born, a place called Corinaldo, which is a beautiful little village not far from where I live in Loretto. Then I went down to a place in uh, Lazio, kind of to the uh, east of Rome, where they were there for about two years, and that's where they met the family, the father and the son, uh, the Serenellis, who the, the son actually was became her murderer. And then they went to a place called, at the time there was a swampy area, but it's since been drained and it's now a nice farmland. But they were there for the last couple of years of her life. Where she was killed. So I documented the story, the biographical, biographical part of her life, and then went to these places and kind of actually walked in her footsteps. What did you learn from walking in her footsteps? I learned a lot about what was li- life was like for poor people in the late 19th century, early 20th century. And then I really just got to kind of enjoy uh, sort of spiritually being there in the footsteps. Because when you walk in the footsteps of the saints, you sort of, you you, you step into this spirituality that's unique that you can get from reading, you can get from, you know, hearing about the stories, but when you're actually there, it's something 
unique. So I tried to take that experience that I had and bring it into the book as sort of a accompanying almost a pilgrimage for the reader. Sure. So what do you think? What what allowed her to become so pious at such a young age? She was from a, a devout family. Her mother was very religious. Her father was too, but in particular her mother. They were very strict in that era too. She had a little bit of education, but not a lot. But they were uh, agricultural people. They were farm people, kind of peasants. Um, so she had just sort of a, a tough, I think, um, disposition or personality about her. And that's just what, that's who she was. She just was not going to give in to Alessandro's demands. And uh, he he had, he tried to, and I think people know the story of what happened, but this uh, older boy, actually he's about 20, made advances on her two different times. And she resisted him both times. And then the third time he had, What's called an awl, A-W-L. It's a uh, pointy sort of a spiked um, iron object that they use to kind of punch hole in wood and make baskets and things. So he had that, and he basically planned that he was going to kill her if she said no. And he did. He stabbed her, I think, 19 times. And all the while, she just kept saying, you know, stop doing this. Why are you doing this? You're going to go to hell. And she lived for about 24 hours survived for 24 hours until she finally died in the hospital in a city called Netuno. And all the while, she kept praying for him, hoping he would convert, wanting him to, you know, forgiving him and telling everybody who was around her that that's, that's what she wanted. So the other part of the story is this boy, Alessandro, who went to jail. He was sentenced for 30 years, served 27, got off early three years on sort of good behavior. And then three years into his sentence, she appeared to him in a dream. And then that kind of started his conversion. Then after he came out, he tried to find work, wasn't able to find work. <laughs> Your next con, you've just killed this you know, girl who's beloved all over Italy. So he ended up entering a Capuchin friary, not as a friar. He sort of lived with the friars, the Capuchin friars in this region of the marches uh, as a layperson. So he never took vows. He wasn't even a lay friar. He just was sort of a layperson that they let live there. And he lived a very holy life. He went to Mass every day, did the prayers with the friars. So he lived the same life as the friars. So he had a great, uh, a very deep conversion. So that's sort of the second part of the story. And you talk about Maria Goretti, it's Alessandro Serenelli. Well, and therein lies such a miracle, don't you think, Brett? The, the, this is where the, the forgiveness and, and redemption part of your book really comes into play. Sure. Yeah, Um you know, she was 12 years old. She was murdered. It's tragic. It's a it's a wonderful story. But I was struck more by the conversion of this this young man because his father was an alcoholic. Um, his mother died early. She had been institutionalized in a an insane asylum. Uh, some of his brothers died. He just had a really rough life, and, and that certainly doesn't excuse anything. But I'm, I sort of related to the not related to him, but I felt compassion for the young man. And when he was first convicted. He was angry. He wouldn't talk to priests. And then three years into it, he has this dream, and uh, Maria Goretti appears to him, and she's putting these flowers on the ground, pulling them out of a basket. And there's 19 of them, one for each time he stabbed her. So that started the conversion, and then slowly he had a confession. The bishop of the city of Nolo, where he was um, serving time in Sicily, came and, and dialogue with him. And so he had this period of conversion toward the end when he finally was released, he was a completely different person. So one of the first things he did is he went to Maria's mother, uh, uh, Sunta was her name, and asked her for forgiveness, and she forgave him. And then he tried, like I said, he tried to find work, 
wasn't able to. And finally, uh, there was a Capuchin friar who was preaching, and he heard about the story of Alessandro and said, why don't you come stay with us for a little bit? And he did, and stayed with the friars for 30 years until he died. And you actually got to speak with some of those friars, correct? I did. I did. I met with three Capuchin friars. Uh, One of them was in his 90s. The other two were in their 80s, and all three of them remembered him, remembered him quite well. One of them uh, was in his 30s when he was in a city called Macerata. Macerata is one of the main cities here in the marches, and that's where the infirmary for the Capuchin friars was back then. Uh, Alessandro died in 1970. And it still is the infirmary. So he remembered him quite well. Now, none of them were really close to Alessandro. They all just sort of knew him. He was in passing. And they all knew his story, but he was just like one of the friars. Uh, back then in the olden days, it wasn't that unusual to have people kind of for the communities, the, the mon- monasteries and convents, to take in people who had different problems. You know, they don't do that now because they don't have enough vocations. But back then they did. So they knew him, Alessandro. He was the guy who killed uh, Maria Goretti, but nobody talked about it because he had completely changed. He went to Mass every day, prayed the rosary, and he was um, he was a farmhand when he was younger, so he took care of the garden for a period of time. He handled the door. He would open the door, and people would come, and then journalists were trying to, to visit with him and speak with him, so he stopped doing that. But, um, yeah, they all, some of them said he died kind of a holy life, but then others sort of felt a little bit, maybe that was controversial to say he lived a holy life because he was uh, a murderer. So, But he lived like the friars, is what they all concluded. He lived like the friars. If you didn't know his story, you would have thought he was just like another friar or a layperson, and they're living like the friars. Wow. Wow. I mean, you you sit back and, and just reflect on this entire story and really see the, you know, we talk about how how there's suffering in this world and we believe that God will bring a greater good out of it. And sometimes we don't get to see the fruits in that regard, don't get to, to really understand what is the greater good, but have to trust in the Lord that the greater good is coming about from that. Um, in yeah. this regard, it sounds like we get to see the greater good, which was the salvation of this young man's soul. Mm. Yeah, there's grace through and through the story. Um, when she was canonized in 1950, they estimate that half a million people came to St. Peter's to be part of that, you know, to witness it. And that was a record, sort of a world, a historical record for a number of people at the canonization. I think a lot of your listeners know also that her mother was there at the beatification and at the canonization. So this was something that touched, you know, just there that day, half a million people's lives. But everybody knew the story back in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Maria Goretti was almost a household name here in Italy, practically a household name. So people knew the story. They knew how she forgave him. And I think down the road later on that people started to realize what happened to Alessandro. But for the decades, you know, probably two decades after until he entered the Capuchin Monastery, uh, he was still known as the murderer of Maria Goretti. And everybody knew who knew who Maria Goretti was. So once they found out he was the murderer, he would get fired from his job. You know, he, the landlord would kick him out of the house. So he just had a hard time until the Capuchins mm. were merciful enough to take him in. We've been talking to Brett Thoman. The book is called Maria Goretti, A Journey into Forgiveness and Redemption, and you can find it linked 
at sunrisemorningshow.com. Brett, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You bet. Have a wonderful day. You do the same. Thank you. All right, it's 13 till. We're back with our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, right after this. Stay with us. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. Hey Alexa, how many ways can I get EWTN? You can get EWTN on television, via cable and satellite, on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, and Google Play. You can get EWTN radio in your car, on Sirius XM Channel 130, and on the go, on any mobile device with the EWTN app. And here's the best news, now you can get EWTN's great programming on me. It's 11 till. Our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a licensed counselor and former seminary instructor. Kevin, good morning. Hey, Annie, it's a delight to talk with you. It is a delight to talk with you. And seeing as how we just celebrated our nation's independence, we're going to take some time to talk about supporting veterans this morning. A couple of times a year, you know, we as a nation come together and honor those who have have given their lives in service of the country, but we can easily overlook these men and women who survive but have still sacrificed so much for us, many of them sacrificing their mental health. Yeah, thanks, thanks Annie. I, I have a relative who uh, retired after 20 years uh, through the Gulf War and was deployed a lot. And so he always kids with me, you know, Dad, uh, uh, people talk about the 1%, you know, in, in other contexts, but we're really the 1%, which is about right that about 1% of the U.S. population serves in the military. So that 99% of us don't have that experience, although we might have a loved one. So I want to talk here about some misconceptions about veterans and uh, the effects of that and, and maybe some ways that family members could be supportive and the rest of us as well. So I think one of the myths is that, well, everybody that served like especially in the last 20 years through the Gulf Wars, well, they must have post-traumatic stress. 
or you know there there's something wrong with them they're kind of broken or they should just be able to get over it everybody else has gotten over the war so let's move on but the reality is and and some great resources at uh, the veterans administration at va.gov uh, that might be helpful for people to understand this only two to 17 percent of veterans have combat caused ptsd so it's not everybody and we know from the research we've talked about this in these segments before that there are potentially traumatic events and that 80% of people probably recover on their own without a lot of professional help. Uh, 20% have more severe issues. But we do know that Gulf War vets, so during the 20 years of our long war there, there were about 2 million uh, military that were deployed into that area around the world. Uh, and that those folks have uh, you know, twice the risk of major depression as the general population. There's a higher suicide rate among veterans and increased substance abuse, especially with single military members and the younger ones. And, you know, part of what, what we see, you know, from a clinical point of view, uh, there's, there's stress added on distress. So there's just the stress of being separated from the family, uh, kind of a, a harsh lifestyle, a very a hierarchical structure in the military, uh, rapid moves, being away from family, missing the birth of your child, not being able to be there for significant family events or to be able to come back if there's an emergency. So those are not really PTSD. That's not combat related. It's just that's part of the sacrifice or the suffering uh, that people go through. Um, and and then there are barriers to getting treatment. So. Uh, the, we have a good VA system, but it's kind of spotty and there's been efforts to re reform it. Not everything is consistent around the country. But if you try to, if someone tries, a veteran tries to get medical help or mental health help outside of the VA system, there was a study that was done that fewer than half of primary care doctors even ever ask if their patient has had military service. Oh, so wow. it's kind of not on the radar because yeah. we're part of that 99% that doesn't know anything about it. And then most mental health professionals have not served in the military. And some mental health professionals, unfortunately, have an anti-military uh, mindset, right? So they're not culturally competent. So that's really important to find somebody to talk with that maybe they haven't served in the military, but they get it. They understand they've, they've done their, their homework. Uh, the, the other part, you know, I think family members have a difficult time that even if somebody doesn't have PTSD, that cumulative stress, maybe the pre-existing vulnerability that some people had, maybe they were depressed or had some dysfunctional family before they went in the military, mm -hmm. and then leading that lifestyle and especially being in combat can really exacerbate that. Yeah. And so loved ones don't understand, like somebody with, you know, a veteran is withdrawing, they're irritable, uh, they don't want to talk about things, they shut down. And that's very difficult for family members. Yeah, does that so, make sense? Yeah, yep. it, it mm -hmm. definitely does. I mean, all of this, I think, rings true to even those of us who, who haven't had personal experience with it can totally see how all of this can can come about so easily. So those of us who do have veterans in our lives who may not be struggling with PTSD but have, you know, sacrificed mm -hmm. in these ways that you've just been describing, what can – what can we do to support our loved ones who suffer in this way? Yeah, so there'd be two things, Annie, I would really, really stress. I think this is helpful. So a lot of us will just, you know, people, it's kind of a, 
uh, trite expression in a way, and a lot of veterans don't particularly like it, uh, thanks for your service. So there's a good sentiment there, but people get tired of hearing that. Mm. Uh, more help, two other things that are more helpful, and I think this is where our faith comes in, is that if somebody has uh, some scars, whether those are physical, that's another part of this, is a lot of veterans get beat up physically and have injuries later on, even if they haven't been in combat or been shot, it, it can be a very uh, demanding physical lifestyle. So you either have physical injuries or maybe moral injuries or emotional injuries. Uh, and so just to express to someone that help is available. So we know that there's at least three well-documented, researched, evidence-based models of treatment for PTSD, which also apply to some of the other things we were talking about. And they're fairly short-term. So a lot of veterans I talk to are afraid they're going to be in on medication or in therapy forever. And that's just not the, the case. If somebody's doing evidence-based practice, there's help that's available. Secondly, uh, rather than just saying thanks for your service, I think a, a, a spiritual issue here is, and I've heard veterans and people in my family who've served have said, was it worth it? Was it all worth the sacrifice? Uh, would I do it over again? So that sense of meaning that it, yeah. that this was worthwhile, that I did contribute. Uh, I don't need a parade, but that sense of meaning that it, it did have a purpose and maybe God used me to do some good. Absolutely. Such wonderful thoughts from our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, this morning. If you've got specific questions, send them into our our contact page at sonrisemorningshow.com, and we can get you in touch with Kevin. He's always so generous with his time. Kevin, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Annie. God bless. Take care. You too. Thank you. All right. We got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. continuing our way on this Thursday, July the 6th, the Feast of St. Maria Goretti. Our Savior's faithfulness is mirrored in the fidelity of his witnesses who shed their blood for the word of God. Let us praise him in remembrance of them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. You redeemed us by your blood. Your martyrs freely embrace death in bearing witness to the faith. Give us the true freedom of the Spirit, O Lord. Your martyrs professed their faith by shedding their blood. Give us a faith, O Lord, that is constant and pure. Your martyrs followed in your footsteps by carrying the cross. Help us to endure courageously the misfortunes of life. Your martyrs washed their garments in the blood of the Lamb. Help us to avoid the weaknesses of the flesh and worldly allurements. Father, source of innocence and lover of chastity, you gave St. Maria Goretti the privilege of offering her life in witness to Christ. As you gave her the crown of martyrdom, let her prayers keep us faithful to your teaching. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Hour 2 of the Sunrise Morning Show here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 
I'm Anna Mitchell coming to you from the studios of Sacred Heart Radio in Cincinnati, Ohio. Paul Lockman at the controls for us. Matt Swaim is on vacation this week. He'll be back on Monday. Say a prayer for him and his family that they're getting some good rest and relaxation. I, on the other hand, am going to be working hard for you. As always, we always work hard for you. Up this hour, man, have we got a cool, wonderful hour ahead. So Dr. John Bergsma will kick things off this hour, continuing our series on Love Basics for Catholics. And today we are going to begin talking about the Song of Songs, written by Solomon. Rita Heikenfeld will join us for Bible Foods. Today we're going to be talking about ginger. And man, does she have a delicious-looking meal uh, recipe to share with us today. Gary Machuda will continue and, I think, actually conclude our series on his book, Revolt Against Reality, talking about a few more ways in which reality has struck back Um some ways that uh, we've seen even quite recently that we'll get to talk to uh, Gary about. And then we'll wrap things up for the day here on EWTN with John Harriet, who curated the Catholic Home Gallery from Ignatius Press. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the contributions of Elizabeth Zelasko, and they are beautiful. So hope you can stick around for the entire hour ahead. Right now, it's time for news, a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Parts of the central U.S. are in for more severe weather to end the work week this week. Forecasters say the focus today is the plains, where thunderstorms are possible into the night, along with large hail and isolated tornadoes, as well as wind gusts of up to 60 miles per hour. It could ramp up tomorrow when cities like Denver, Kansas City, and Tulsa face the highest risk. Meantime, thousands of customers were without power last night in Illinois and Indiana because of thunderstorms that moved through the region. Looking ahead to the next Jubilee in 2025, Pope Francis issued a letter yesterday establishing the Commission of the New Martyrs, Witnesses of the Faith within the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. The working group's objective will be to draw up a catalogue of all Christians who have shed their blood to confess Christ and bear witness to the gospel. Martyrs in the church, wrote the Pope, are witnesses of the hope that comes from faith in Christ and incites to true charity. Hope keeps alive the profound conviction that good is stronger than evil because God in Christ has conquered sin and death. The Commission will continue the search to identify the witnesses of the faith in this first quarter of the century and to continue in the future. This work was started during the Jubilee year of 2000. Martyrs, the Pope continued, have accompanied the life of the Church in every age and flourish as ripe and excellent fruits of the vineyard of the Lord. St. John Paul II had already stated in his letter Terzio Millenio Adveniente that everything must be done to ensure that the legacy of the unknown soldiers of God's great cause is not lost. 
On the 7th of May in the year 2000, these very martyrs were remembered during an ecumenical celebration which Saul gathered at the Colosseum together with the Bishop of Rome, representatives of churches and ecclesial communities from all over the world. This is what the Holy Father has repeatedly called ecumenism of blood. In the next jubilee as well, the Pope added, we will be united for a similar celebration. With this initiative, we do not intend to establish new criteria for the canonical discernment of martyrdom, but to continue the initiated survey of those who to this day continue to be killed simply because they are Christians. In a world where at times it seems that evil prevails, the Pope concluded, I am certain that the elaboration of this catalogue, also in the context of the approaching Jubilee, will help believers to read the reasons for life and good. I'm Francesca Merlo. Pope Francis met yesterday with former President Bill Clinton at his residence at the Casa Santa Marta. Vatican News reports the meeting was held in private and the two men exchanged gifts and discussed peace. No other details were revealed. The Pentagon will make changes to how military personnel access classified information following a massive leak of top-secret documents earlier this year. An internal review of policies concluded the Defense Department should, quote, improve its security posture and accountability measures. It determined, however, that it does not have a widespread issue with keeping secrets safe. The review comes after a junior Air National Guardsman allegedly leaked hundreds of top-secret documents online. The U.S. Air Force says three Russian fighter jets provoked U.S. drones during a mission against ISIS over Syria. Mark Mayfield reports. In a statement Wednesday night, the Air Force said that Russian jets took part in unsafe and unprofessional behavior with three U.S. drones Wednesday morning, forcing them into evasive maneuvers. It's unknown what kind of mission was taking place against the ISIS targets. I'm Mark Mayfield. And those looking to travel internationally will need to get a jump start on their passport applications. Amid an unprecedented demand, the State Department is advising people to submit applications for passports at least six months before their travel dates. Current processing times are around 10 to 13 weeks and expedited processing will still take seven to nine weeks, not including the time it takes to send the application through the mail. Well, anyone looking to uh, go on pilgrimage to Rome or the Holy Land or to, I don't know, any number of places, start getting those passport. Well, (laughs) if you're going in the next, like, I don't know, couple of months, that might be a problem. So there you have it. Just, um, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Anyway, we're having a little trouble getting Dr. John Bergsma on the line. And I'm kind of bummed because really looking forward to talking about Solomon and his bride in the Song of Songs, of course, a uh, a book that uh, might make people a little bit uncomfortable when they read it. Oftentimes, we're only hearing it, you know, at wedding masses. And um, if you've read John Paul II's Theology of the Body, this is the part that a lot of people skip. <laughs> Man, we're not getting him on the line. That's rough. Well, today is the feast of St. Maria Goretti. And uh, this is actually um, 
we just talked about her uh, a little bit last hour with Brett Thoman, who just wrote a new book about her. Um, and next hour in our local hour, um, very much looking forward to talking to Father Thomas Berg about her. So, um, and the reason why is because, well, Maria Goretti is an icon of forgiveness for sure. I mean, we we look at this young girl who at what age 11 or 12 was fending off um, a young man who was, you know, trying to make advances on her and threatening to rape her and then eventually murders her because she continued to say no and um, is counted as a martyr because of her witness to our Lord in those final moments of her life in which she was forgiving him. She survived almost 24 hours after being stabbed multiple times by Alessandro, who uh, later would would ask her mother for forgiveness after he had a vision of her, uh, a dream um, of her in prison. And so Maria Goretti, I've been to the, actually, you know, I was just talking about going on pilgrimage. I got to go on pilgrimage with uh, Teresa Tamio and Janet Marana from Priests for Life um, to Italy uh, a number of years ago, about 10 years ago now. And uh, one of the uh, one of the stops that we made outside of Rome was to Nettuno, where she was murdered. And um, we held mass in the room in which she was murdered. And I was kneeling at the consecration right at the site where she was murdered. It was a very, very powerful experience, particularly because the pilgrimage that we were on was um, billed as sort of a, a mother-daughter pilgrimage. Uh, there were others who were there that weren't, you know, mother-daughter, but um, quite a few young girls who were on this pilgrimage with us. And, and Maria, just a beautiful example of forgiveness and fidelity to Christ um, even in those final moments, I mean, she was stabbed multiple times and continued to forgive him. Now, what I'm going to be talking about with Father Berg, and I'm looking forward to uh, sharing this conversation, even though it'll be after her feast day, I'm going to to share the conversation in um, one of our hours, one of our national hours here on the Sunrise Morning Show here on EWTN, um, because I think sometimes... Actually, I shouldn't even say I think. I only know this because I've seen testimonies from victims of sexual abuse and, and victims of, of violence in this way that Maria is is upheld as an icon of purity, and she very much is. But many times well-meaning people will uphold her as someone who is an icon of purity because she was able to fend off Alessandro. And there are those who are victims of sexual violence who weren't able to fend off their attacker for whatever reason, struggle with this issue of purity. Um, 
whenever the uh, the the icon of Maria Goretti is invoked in that way. And so I guess this is just a little bit of an opportunity. And and like I said, I'll share this conversation that we have with Father Thomas Berg, who who has worked closely with many victims of sexual abuse, particularly in in the church, uh, victims of of clerical sexual abuse. Um, how to to reach out in compassion to victims of abuse in a way that is sensitive to that, because absolutely we should uphold Maria Goretti as as a model of purity, as somebody that that we should emulate in that regard and and being committed to purity, but doing so in a way that does not make someone who is a victim um, feel like they are impure because they weren't able to fend off their attacker. So I think the, um, the biggest lesson from Maria Goretti is the lesson of forgiveness, which is another thing that, that we'll be talking about with Father Berg, um, how Maria Goretti is an icon of forgiveness and of redemption. When we were talking to Brett Thoman last hour, um, talking about the story of Alessandro, who experienced a conversion in prison, and then um, when he got out, went and and lived a life with the Capuchin friars. He was not a friar himself, but lived a life of, of prayer and went to daily mass. And we don't know, obviously, the state of his soul at his death, but it seems like he experienced a true conversion. And so we can rejoice in that miracle that, that he sought forgiveness and was granted forgiveness by Maria's mother. Just another, I mean, you think about it, um, possibly even a, a harder forgiveness to give, um, that being Asunta's forgiveness of Alessandro after he murdered her daughter. So just an incredible story of, of St. Maria Goretti, whose mother got to witness her canonization. How beautiful, how beautiful. St. Maria Goretti, pray for us. 16 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We'll be back with headlines right after this. I'm Matt Swain, grateful that Visiting Angels underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide to continue living at home rather than a nursing home. Experienced, compassionate caregivers provide assistance in hygiene meals and light housework, and services are provided up to 24 hours per day with caregiver selection before service begins. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. 
When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. What's stopping you from becoming a Catholic? Why can't women become priests? I don't understand why I have to earn salvation. How is it possible that God created everything? Why do I need to confess my sins to why a priest? Why is the Catholic Church so unwilling to wreck the Catholic Church is too rich? Catholics worship Mary and our community. As far as I'm concerned, all religions are equal. You are called to communion with Dr. David Anders. Today, 2 p.m. Eastern, on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 18 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at headlines. Parts of the central U.S. are in for more severe weather today, particularly in the plains where thunderstorms and isolated tornadoes are possible. Pope Francis met yesterday with former President Bill Clinton at his residence at the Casa Santa Marta. And looking ahead to the next Jubilee in 2025, Pope Francis issued a letter yesterday establishing the Commission of the New Martyrs, Witnesses of the Faith within the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints. Next newscast coming up at the bottom of the hour here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And uh, I find this Commission of the New Martyrs to be rather exciting. Uh, This is not uh, a new... Thing, Pope St. John Paul II uh, did something similar in the year 2000 for that jubilee. But um, first of all, can we just talk about how exciting it is that there's a jubilee coming up in a couple of years? Of course, um, Rome has been, Rome meaning the Holy See and the Vatican, have, um, you know, been starting to uh, get plans in place For the Jubilee, they're expecting a massive influx of pilgrims. And I guess based on the story that I was telling you at the end of the news at uh, the top of the hour, that um, if you want to travel to Rome in 2025, might not be a bad idea to uh, start getting uh, your application ready for a passport if you don't already have one. They were saying at least six months um, you're going to need right now ahead of your travel dates of course things could ease up in the passport offices by then but i mean why take the why take the chance says processing times around 10 to 13 weeks so if you're going to be making plans to go to rome for the jubilee of 2025 what i think does a passport last for 10 years i think so you know get it now and you can have it ready to go in case you need to, you know, hop over to Rome for the Jubilee year. But um, very cool, this commission of the new martyrs. And it's going to be exciting to see the cataloging of all of the people who have given their lives as witnesses to Christ uh, since the year 2000. So modern, modern martyrs, pray for us, all you holy men and women. Rita Heikenfeld joins us next. It's 21 past season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. 
Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. Pray with me now the praises of Mary by St. Anthony of Padua. The praises of Mary. Oh, how wondrous is the dignity of the glorious Virgin. She merited to become the mother of him who is the strength and beauty of the angels and the grandeur of all the saints. Mary was the seat of our sanctification, that is to say, the dwelling place of the Son who sacrificed himself for us. And I shall glorify the place where my feet have stood, the feet of the Savior signify his human nature. The place where the feet of the Savior stood was the Blessed Virgin Mary, who gave him his human nature. Today the Lord glorifies that place, since he has exalted Mary above the choirs of the angels. That is to say, the Blessed Virgin, who was the dwelling of the Savior, has been assumed bodily into heaven. Amen. Twenty-three minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on a Thursday morning. It's time for Bible Foods. And of course, Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com here with us for it. Good morning, Rita. Well, it's so nice to talk to you, my friend. It is so nice to get to talk to you. You know, I always give this to Matt, the gourmet (laughs) of uh, the team here. So we're going to have to kind of limp along with me talking about cooking. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a simpleton when it comes to food. Just, you know, meat and potatoes um, kind of person. It's funny because later on, uh, as we talk, I think you're going to be sort of familiar with this, the recipe we're going to share, and it's um, similar to what you fix your family, so we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, so we're talking about ginger today. I don't think ginger is specifically mentioned in the Bible, but this certainly was something that was around in Bible times. Oh, yeah, you're right. Not mentioned specifically, but you know what, Annie? The ancient Romans um, imported huge quantities of ginger and the funny thing is, um, they taxed it really heavily because it was in such high demand. And that seems weird because back then, a lot of spices were expensive because they were so scarce. Ginger was just the opposite. But because, again, everybody loved it, it was costly because, again, it was plentiful and everybody wanted it, so they taxed it. And people might not know, but ginger is the year of the year for this year, 2023. So it's a very important spice, herb, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I'm not really sure that I'm going to make a little confession here. I was not aware that ginger was an herb. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know what? Um, When you think of an herb, I always say any useful plant. So it could be even a bush. 
So, yeah, and it's certainly useful, wouldn't you say? Oh, definitely. So I want to know how you would describe the taste of ginger. To to my palate, Rita, it's kind of like sweet with a kick. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense because it, it, when you first taste it, it's, it's sweet. And then at the back of the tongue, it's got a little bit of a peppery bite. So, yeah, sweet and peppery is a good way to describe it. All right. Now, the ginger that I usually buy, I have to admit, is more like the candy ginger that you mm-hmm. use when you're pregnant to, like, kind of ease a, an upset stomach. <laughs> That's the, the most of the time what I'm buying ginger for. But you can actually buy fresh ginger root in the store. So if you have that at home, you don't end up using it for, you know, whatever meal you're cooking Uh, that particular evening, um, how should you store ginger root? Well, I just put it in the refrigerator, but I put it, I don't peel it, and I'll put it like in a jar, like a canning jar, something with a a good lid, because that'll keep out the air and moisture, and that's what causes ginger to mold in the fridge. And you can keep ginger root up to two months in the fridge, believe it or not, and you can even freeze it up up to six months or so, and frozen when you thaw it, um, it just, much, much easier once it's thawed to even chop up. So, yeah, lots of ways to store fresh ginger. And when you buy fresh ginger in the store, anything that in particular that we should be looking for? Yeah, make sure when you pick it up it should be plump and, and look real naughty. And funny thing is, they'll, it may have some what we call the little growth buds or eyes poking out here and there. They're just little pieces in there, sort of pinkish-green and um, no shriveling or soft spots. Leave those alone. But you can actually pot that ginger up, and you'll have a, a lovely ginger plant like I do. I have one growing in the Bible portion of my herb garden. So, gosh, nice. it's a beautiful herb to use and also as a sort of a decoration. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you like candied ginger? Just curious. I love it. And it's funny when you said that uh, you took that when you were pregnant because we all know ginger helps with nausea and, and settle a tummy, but it's also really got a lot of anti-inflammatory qualities, too. And mm. I use it a lot, um, like with stir fries or on the side. Uh, yeah, and candied ginger is wonderful in muffins, too. It's got a lot of uses. Oh, I've never tried that before. So uh, we talked about fresh ginger, but there's also, what, ginger paste? and there's powdered ginger. Can you use them as, as substitutes for fresh no, ginger? Yeah, most of the time. It depends on what you're cooking. As a matter of fact, the, the slow-cooked pepper steak recipe with sesame rice that I'm sharing uses actual powdered ginger, and you could use fresh ginger or ginger paste. Um, but my ginger root was, as I said, out in the herb gr- garden growing, so I use powdered ginger. Really just depends, I think. Nice, nice. And, of course, as you said, it can last for up to, what, two months in the fridge, six Mm -hmm. months in the freezer. So you can certainly buy some fresh ginger and uh, not have to use it all up in in one fell swoop. So tell us a little bit more about this slow-cooked pepper steak. Well, I think you're going to be familiar with this, Annie, because you do a pork dish in the slow cooker, if I remember right, with soy sauce. Mm -hmm. This sort of follows that... um, same procedure, but what you do is you can take some flank steak, round or sirloin, and you cut it into like one half a thick inch slices. And then um, what you're going to do is you're going to put um, a nice fat onion in the crock pot chopped up and the steak, and then some tamari, which is a type of soy sauce made from miso paste, and it's usually gluten-free or soy sauce. 
some garlic, um, a little pepper, and the ginger. And then you just give it a stir. You cook that until the meat's tender, about four hours or so. And then you're going to add some sliced bell peppers and then tomatoes. Cook those a bit, maybe 45 minutes. Um, and make a slurry out of cold water, cornstarch, and more soy. Stir that in, wonderful saucy consistency. And I uh, serve it over rice where I'll drizzle a little bit of sesame oil on it. Um, really easy and, and just so delicious. And it reminds me of your pork with soy. Oh my gosh. Well, I got treated to a picture of this dish, slow-cooked pepper steak with sesame rice. Is that going to be up at About Eating, Rita? Yes, ma'am. I'm putting it up right now. All right. AboutEating.com, linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Rita, thank you so much. I'll talk to you again soon, I hope. I do, too. Thank you, Rita. All right. It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Parts of the central U.S. are in for more severe weather to end this work week. Forecasters say the focus today is the plains, where thunderstorms are possible into the night, along with large hail, isolated tornadoes, and wind gusts up to 60 miles per hour. It could ramp up tomorrow in cities like Denver, Kansas City, and Tulsa facing the highest risk. Thousands of customers were without power last night in Illinois and Indiana where thunderstorms moved across the region. Pope Francis, looking ahead to the upcoming Jubilee in 2025, has established the commission of the new martyrs, witnesses of the faith, within the dicastery for the causes of saints. Vatican News reports the commission's work will focus on creating a catalog of the Christians who in the years since 2000 have shed their blood to confess Christ and witness to the gospel. In a letter establishing the commission, the Holy Father said that martyrs in the church are witnesses of hope. And he said, quote, hope keeps alive the the profound conviction that good is stronger than evil because God in Christ has conquered sin and death, end quote. The Apostolic Penitentiary has announced that Pope Francis is granting a plenary indulgence for the World Day of Grandparents and the Elderly later this month. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The World Day will be celebrated on July 23rd under the theme, His Mercy is from Age to Age. In a decree issued on Wednesday by the Apostolic Penitentiary and approved by Pope Francis, the plenary indulgence will be granted to grandparents, the elderly, and all faithful who participate in the solemn celebration presided over by the Pope in St. Peter's Basilica, as well as to all those who attend Mass in various parts of the world. The indulgence is subject to the usual conditions of sacramental confession, reception of the Eucharist, and prayer for the intentions of the Holy Father. A plenary indulgence offers remission of the temporal punishment due to sins already forgiven, which can be applied to oneself or to the souls in purgatory. The Apostolic Penitentiary extends the same plenary indulgence on the same day to those who dedicate significant time to visit, either in person or by virtual means of communication, their elderly brothers and sisters who are in need of facing difficulties such as the sick, abandoned, and disabled. For those unable to leave their homes due to serious reasons, spiritual participation in Mass celebrated for the World Day will also grant them the opportunity to attain a plenary indulgence. However, the indulgence requires that the faithful maintain detachment from sin and intend to fulfill the three usual conditions as soon as possible. The Apostolic Penitentiary's announcement offers the faithful an opportunity to deepen their spiritual lives, express charity towards the elderly, and seek God's mercy in a special way. 
The third World Day for grandparents and the elderly serves as a reminder of the invaluable wisdom, experience, and love that older generations offer to society and the church. I'm Devin Watkins. Pope Francis met yesterday with former President Bill Clinton at the Pope's residence, the Casa Santa Marta. Vatican News reports the meeting was held in private. The two men exchanged gifts and discussed peace. No other details were revealed. Clinton's office told the Catholic News Agency that he thanked Pope Francis for all he had done for the church and for the world. UPS and Teamsters are still not seeing eye-to-eye, apparently, in new contract negotiations, and a strike could be on the horizon as a result. Company officials and the International Brotherhood of Teamsters have so far this week been unable to come to an agreement after discussing details. The union that represents approximately 340,000 UPS workers nationwide claims UPS has refused to give Teamsters a best and final offer, while the company called its proposal historic. Their contract expires at the end of the month, and a strike has already been authorized if a new deal is not reached. Spending on political advertising for the 2024 elections is already double what it was in 2020. The polls don't open for another 15 months, yet in this off-year, Ad Impact is reporting that more than $453 million have been spent so far. By this time in 2020, less than $222 million was spent on political campaigns. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past. The Sunrise This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, what is the sacrament of holy orders? Holy orders is a sacrament by which bishops, priests, and other ministers of the church are ordained and receive the power and grace to perform their sacred duties. Ordination is when the bishop places his hands on the minister to be ordained, and he intends to ordain that person so that that man may receive the power that Christ gave the original apostles to celebrate Mass, to hear confessions, and of the person being ordained as a bishop, well, also to ordain others. By ordination, a man gains the power of Christ, who is the head of the church, and now shares in that role that servant role that Christ had to serve his people by means of the sacraments so that they might gain grace and the priest himself might gain grace as well so that, having grace, they might keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan.
It's 37 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Gary Machuda. You can find him online at handsonapologetics.com. And for many, many weeks now, we've been going through his book, Revolt Against Reality, from Catholic Answers Press, and possibly concluding it today. Gary, good morning. Good morning, Annie. It is good to have you. And we're continuing to look at ways in which reality strikes back against this revolt. And so there are signs of hope even in the world today. Can you talk about how we see that happening when it comes to gender ideology? Yeah. Well, remember, I I originally wrote this book a couple of years ago, and that's when all of this uh, the gender politics and stuff really started coming out. And so, you know, as I mentioned to Matt last week, um, you know, I actually originally ended the book a chapter earlier, but it was so dark I felt I needed to (laughs) show that, you know, that God's still in control and that reality counts. And so I I offered a few cracks in the cloud that was visible, you know, a couple years ago, Uh, one being that uh, the only time you actually have pushback against the uh, the gender uh, movement is uh, with restrooms, public restrooms. I don't know if you remember that a few oh, years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah, where, you know, major chains uh, allowed uh, people who identify as women to use women's restrooms. And, you know, and, and that was like one area where people became confronted with the reality of, you know, what a exactly is a man and what is a woman, because it's extremely uncomfortable to have a, a male in an area where there could be young, you know, ladies partially dressed. And uh, so there was some major pushback. Um, and unfortunately, that was like one of the few areas. The other area, uh, it started back then, but it's still with us today, is women's sports. Uh, the feminist movement, uh, you know, one of the, the positive outgrowths of the feminist movement is the growth of women's sports. Um, however, you know, when uh, men who are transitioning to women or, you know, identify themselves as women begin to compete in sports as women, suddenly, you know, the physiology shows. And a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of, of these males were uh, breaking records in high school, in college, in women's sports. And uh, again, that kind of asserts a backlash, and it's still here today. Absolutely. I mean, Bill Maher, who is no conservative whatsoever, speaks out about this all the time. Like, if you actually look at it through the lens of reality, you can see just how unfair it is and just how anti feminist it is, uh, particularly in, in the sports realm, as you were just saying. You know, we've just to, to look at, at, you know, today even, we've just come out of, of quote unquote, Pride Month, the month of June, and saw quite a bit of backlash, didn't we? I mean, uh, people are starting mm-hmm. to recognize that there is a difference between loving people who have same-sex attraction and treating them equally there's a difference between that and uh, sending our kids to drag queen story hour at the local library. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you think that would be common sense. But, uh, yeah, um, 
you're right, there, there is a lot more backlash. And that was actually one of the things that I, I was pleased with the book, because in that last chapter, um, some of the things, the, the little cracks I saw a couple of years ago, have kind of come true in some bigger ways, you know, so there is a predictive quality. So I think I actually hit the nail on the head. Yeah, you definitely but, uh, did. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. You were going to say something else. Go go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, and uh, I think that's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, as a theory, you know, as an idea, it, it sounds pretty harmless, you know. What's wrong with, you know, people uh, identifying as their other sexes and competing in sports as those sexes and so on? But in reality, when push comes to shove, you know, there is a big difference. And, um, and you know, and I think it's it's going to be a while before, um, I, I think this is really just the tip of the iceberg. I think we're going to find out, yeah, there are some major, major differences. And if we don't recognize them, uh, we're just going to live in chaos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Bud Light's finding that out the hard way, I think. Um, another movement that, that you've discussed in the book and, and discussed at length in our series on Revolt Against Reality was, was radical feminism and um, just how toxic that has been. And this push for widespread contraception, for no-fault divorce, and, and for abortion— um, as we see reality um, striking back, this has all led to much smaller families and and it seems uh, some a demographic wasteland. I mean, that turns out to be uh, quite a problem. Yeah, and uh, it's funny, in recent uh, last few weeks, I've noticed a lot of uh, stories coming up regarding this. Uh, when we when we embrace something that's not real, we don't flourish. <laughs> you know, uh, being close to nature has its benefits because that's how God constructed reality. That's how God had constructed us. And like you said, all these uh, various revolts against reality, contraception, no-fault divorce, you know, we could go on, abortion, so on and so forth, uh, it's resulted in this demographic nightmare where... Um, there are fewer fewer people being born, and the current population is getting older and older. And uh, for first world first world countries, we're not going to really feel the bite of that until a little later, because at least we have structures to help with elderly and the infirmed and so on. But in third world countries, where the demographic becomes this inverted pyramid, they don't have those kinds of structures. And wherever modernity is. You have this constriction of, of births. And by the way, you know, Annie, I, I don't know if you remember way, way back in the series, you know, ancient Rome ran into that same problem. When mm-hmm. Christianity came onto the scene, Romans weren't having children. They saw children as a burden. And so uh, they replaced children with pets. And, uh, and even though the empire, when it finally realized that it had a problem with uh, a low birth rate, uh, they started giving essentially tax incentives for people to have children. None of that was effective because the culture of uh, raising large families was destroyed. And that's kind of like where we're going to be, if not today, we're going to be there in a few years, where we're going to try to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And in fact, in some ways, China is experiencing that because 
as you know, they had the one-child uh, policy that uh, they lately had um, uh, pulled back from, but childbirth hasn't rebounded since then. And that's because that whole culture of rearing families has been destroyed by the one-child uh, policy. Yeah, it's so sad. And with a, with an older, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I've seen so many stories just, I think, because Census Bureau data has been has been kind of coming out and there have been more and more stories as uh, reporters start looking at the data. And we're seeing the median age in the United States continues to tick up. And in fact, uh, I think was the biggest jump since they've been recording uh, the median age in the United States uh, now in in the mid 30s because there are so many um, or so how would you put that so fewer many fewer children yeah um, bringing down the median age and and as a population looks I mean not to go into a doom and gloom um, when we're talking about hopeful things, but uh, as we see an older and older population, there's a, a greater movement toward assisted suicide and uh, just kind of getting rid of the old people that are, are such a burden, so to speak. Yeah, right. Yeah, because uh, now there's fewer and fewer people to help support, you know, the, the growing uh, elderly. And uh, you're right. It, you know, the culture of death asserts itself in that way, too. And, and and that's the funny thing about reality is you can explain it away, you can act like it doesn't exist, but ultimately it's really the only show in town. You know, it will reassert itself. And uh, I think demographics, uh, you know, we're starting to see this now, but uh, quite frankly, uh, you know, it could get a lot worse very quickly. For sure. We're going to leave it there. We didn't conclude the book, which is good because it's really more appropriate that Matt, <laughs> that Matt conclude the series with you. But we got through the culture war stuff, which is what Matt likes least about his job, talking about culture war issues. So I've, I've taken that off of his hands. And then next week, you all can talk about Islamism and how reality is striking back against that and the whole idea of being spiritual but not religious. Um, two uh, very interesting topics in which reality is striking back against them. In the meantime, you can go pick up a copy of Revolt Against Reality from Catholic Answers Press and linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Gary, thank you. Thank you. All right. It is uh, 12 till. We're back with John Harriet right after this. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245.
Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If your cable or satellite provider doesn't carry EWTN's full programming lineup, give them a call and let them know you would like to receive EWTN 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For more information, go to EWTN.com and click on television. Today on More to Life, when faith divides. Is your faith causing conflict in relationships? We'll help you find peace. That's today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 10 till. Back with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show in studio, John Harriet. He's designer for Ignatius Press, and he curated the Catholic Home Gallery. John, it's good to see you. Good to see you. So today we are talking about the contributions to the Catholic Home Gallery from artist Elizabeth Zelasko, um, an image of Servant of God, Emile Capon, and also her image of Our Lady of Levang. So tell us, how did you discover Elizabeth Zelasko? She's one of the artists that I discovered through Instagram, um, and she's got a really wide variety of styles that she works yeah. in um she's somebody who's definitely worth following if you are on instagram i included uh, you know her information um where you can look her up in the book here uh she's also been leading pilgrimages that are uh related to sacred art um so anyway and she also one of the things i appreciate about about her is she kind of delves a little bit into the nitty-gritty of like how to frame your art how to place it in the home, that sort of information as well. So, Oh, cool. So she does all that on social media? Yeah. Nice, nice. So, uh, yeah, elizabethzelasco.com is where you can look at more of her art. And, yeah, you. it was funny because I was looking at these two images and I was thinking, you know, as as we've gone through the, the Catholic Home Gallery and looked at the various art, um, you can see – uh, a real similarity in the images. So each of these artists contribute two images. And up until now, they've all looked very similar, the two images, but these look very different. Um, so she is kind of all over the place when it comes to her art? I think she has a consistency uh, to her methods and stuff like that, but sure. she definitely doesn't isn't somebody who's nailed down to one style. So yeah, these two here, she's got... Um, uh, Father Kipon as a in a sort of tr- more traditional iconographic style, mm-hmm. and then Our Lady of the Long, which she contributed, is a um, is a graphite drawing, so drawn with pencil and paper. Yeah, and these are are so beautiful. So tell us a little bit more about this um, this icon of of Father Kipon. Well, he was a military chaplain who died in the Korean War, and so uh, this. Kind of the icon here depicts him. He was a farm boy, so uh, it shows him standing uh, with wheat behind him, and uh, it's him 
at in at mass. So he's got he's in the stance of a priest celebrating mass. Um, so he's somebody that I've uh, I learned about when I worked on a book about him, the miracle of Father Capon. Oh yeah. And uh, he uh, was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor by uh, President Obama. And uh, he was he was a very heroic man and uh, basically gave up his life to serve fellow prisoners in a communist prison camp. Yeah, his story is is incredible and very near and dear to to my family's heart. We were praying um, through his intercession for uh, my late nephew Joshua, and just learning more about Father Capon's story. Um, was just so heartening to to all of us, and um, and know that Joshua is enjoying life in in heaven with Father Capon now. Um, Our Lady of Levang is another. Um, well, it's it's a Marian apparition that uh, that many of us here in the United States are probably not familiar with. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, um, this story? Well, Elizabeth Zelasko has kind of a summary of it uh, here. It's an apparition from 1798 in Vietnam, and uh, Vietnamese Catholics, uh, you know, a lot of them were evangelized by the French, and um, so Our Lady of Levang uh, appeared to them uh, during, a, um, w- during a persecution and uh, to help them, because there was widespread disease, and she kind of instructed them in ways to, to uh, that they could use native plants to uh, to help them cure them from these diseases and so uh, in her version that she she created of this she shows uh, Mary holding infant Jesus and infant Jesus is holding uh, one of the plants that uh, was used to help heal people so there are a lot of Vietnamese Catholics in the United States now because of immigration uh, after the war especially and so if you look around any place that has a large population of Vietnamese Catholics, including here in Cincinnati, there is going to be a parish dedicated to Our Lady of Luang. Yes, absolutely. And I have to say, uh, this is one of my favorite images in in the entire Catholic home gallery. Just so beautiful, this, this graphite image of her holding the rosary. I particularly love how the halos um, look like hats. Or are they halos? Are they hats or halos or both? I think they serve the, you know, both. So, yeah, traditionally that she is shown wearing this this garb. Uh, back when I lived in San Francisco, I used to sometimes go to a Vietnamese restaurant that was owned by Vietnamese Catholics, and they had a couple of different statues of Our Lady of Levang in there. Yeah, so beautiful. So this is the work of Elizabeth Zelasko, and uh, if you want to see more of her work you can go to her website elizabethsalasco.com but highly encourage you to get a copy of the catholic home gallery so that you can take out servant of god emile capon and our lady of levang and all of these other images in here and uh, frame them and place them around your house and i guess go check out elizabeth salasco's site to get more uh, tips on how to do that well in your home Love it. We've been talking to John Harriet, and you can find the Catholic Home Gallery linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. John, really appreciate it. Thank you, Annie. You bet. All right, that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. We'll look forward to talking to you again tomorrow on a Friday, EWTN. Until then, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.
Ryan Lopez.